<laughs> All right. Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again. Deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live or he will sweep through the house of Jacob like a fire. It will devour and Bethel will have no one to quench it. You who, t- you who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you have made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. Now, let's uh, come before God in prayer before we look at his word. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much that uh, you've given us this passage from Amos Uh, written all those centuries ago, but so important and so relevant to us here and now. Father, without your spirit, uh, we can't understand your word and we certainly can't uh, live it out in our lives. And so we pray that by your spirit that you would be giving us understanding and that you would be softening our hearts 
and that we would be people who seek not after the things of this world, but that we would be people who seek after you. And these things we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, as Australians, there are, there are certain places which uh, have special significance for us because of what happened there. What are some of those places? Well, I think Gallipoli is one, don't you? Gallipoli. Gallipoli, uh, where uh, thousands of Aussies under normal circumstances uh, would uh, journey there each year in order to uh, reflect and in order to, uh, to pay respect. But can you imagine someone travelling all the way over to Turkey to the beaches of Gallipoli and uh, participating or being involved with the Anzac Day dawn service and being uh, emotionally affected by that and yet upon returning home, that same person having an attitude of being rude and arrogant and disrespectful towards servicemen and women. Can you imagine that? That's hard to imagine, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be left wondering, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd be thinking, uh, what was that all about? Uh, you know, why would you make the pilgrimage? Why would you shed your tears if it doesn't come from your heart and if it doesn't affect your behaviour towards those who serve? Why would you bother? Um, by the way, I've, I've never actually met anyone <laughs> who's like that. This is hypothetical. But it was not so hypothetical in the Old Testament uh, when uh, a similar issue was, um, uh, was, was current. Because uh, Israel did have certain places which were very special in terms of their, um, their national psyche. Uh, not because of battles that had been won or lost there, but rather because of, uh, of, of things which, which God had done in those locations and promises that God had made in those locations uh, where shrines and, and monuments had been erected so that God's people would not forget, would not forget. Now, in Amos chapter 5, if you'd like to have that open in your Bibles, and there is an outline of the sermon in your uh, bulletins there, in Amos chapter 5, we read of three such locations where God's people would travel to in order to remember what God had done and who they were supposed to be. So, what are those three places? Well, here in Amos chapter 5, in verses 1 to 5, Amos sets the scene. Can I read that for you? Verses 1 to 5. Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own and with no one left uh, to lift her up. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will only have a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. And to not, do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal 
will certainly go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Now, did you see the, the, the three places there in verse 5? Uh, what are they? They are Bethel, uh, Gilgal, and what's the last one? Beersheba. So why were these three places so special? Well, firstly, let's uh, think about Bethel for a few moments. Bethel uh, was about new life. That's what it came to represent, new life from God. Uh, Let me explain that. Uh, In Genesis chapter 28, you might recall uh, when Jacob was fleeing for his life. Who was he fleeing from? He was fleeing from his his brother, wasn't he? From from Esau, because he'd he'd taken the blessing uh, that Esau would have otherwise had. So Jacob was fleeing from Esau and in one night out in the open he went to sleep and in that sleep he had a dream. And it was a dream of a a stairway, of a stairway between heaven, the heavens and the the earth. And there were angels ascending and descending on on that stairway and God appeared in his, his dream. And God spoke to him and God gave him uh, a promise. It was the same promise that God had given to his grandfather Abraham all those years ago and it was the promise uh, that his descendants would possess a land. It was the promise that he would have descendants, that he would have a people and it was a promise that his descendants, the descendants of Jacob, would bless the whole world. Now imagine that. That's what you call a complete change of status, don't you? Uh, It's um, from being, uh, from having a fugitive present to having a very special future. And so Jacob uh, set up a stone pillar and he named that place Bethel, which means the house of God. Now, uh, years later, uh, when he was travelling back, having escaped from his uh, father-in-law Laban, uh, and uh, after he had reconciled with his brother Esau, it was also at that same place, at Bethel, that God gave Jacob a new name. He would no longer be known as Jacob. His new name would be Israel, which is the name of the entire nation. That's special, isn't it? And that's new life. That's a fresh beginning. That's a great future, a new life given by God. And yet in verse 5, what message does God now have for Israel? This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live, do not seek Bethel. Do not seek Bethel. And the reason for that is outlined in verses 6 through to 13 because there were those in Israel, and it's a a particular issue for the elite class in Israel, who had a different view of life, a different view of what constitutes the good life. In verse 11, they had built stone mansions for themselves. They owned lush vineyards 
And friends, these are not struggling winemakers who are uh, working hard, trying to pay the bills and uh, providing good jobs for hard-working people and paying them fairly. No, these are, I don't know, these are more like your Harborside Mansion types with their Hunter Valley Vineyard for the weekends. But in, and people might say, well, when you reach that point in life, you've kind of made it, haven't you? <laughs> You're living the good life. This is life as it was meant to be, lived in luxury and with abundance and, well, not if it's life lived without God. And here in Amos chapter 5, with these particular people, God had very little to do with their lives. Sure, um, they would make their, their pilgrimage to Bethel, but they despise justice. They despise righteousness. Um, in verse 10, they hate the person who tells the truth in, 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 in court. They trample upon the poor. Uh, in verse 12, the, the rich just slip the judge a bribe and the poor man is denied justice. Have a look at verse 13. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. The prudent man keeps quiet. What does that mean? Well, it could mean two things, and both of which are true. That the prudent man, in that kind of environment where there is no righteousness, there is no justice, where there is a... that the prudent man keeps his mouth shut about wrongdoing because he wants to protect himself. He doesn't want trouble. Or the prudent man says nothing because he wants to get ahead. Unlike Amos, by the way, uh, who just didn't fear God, uh, didn't fear man, and he spoke the truth, no matter the consequences. Now, notice in verses 8 and 9 that Amos reminds Israel of God's power. He says, God turns night to day. Uh, he is the one who pours water over the land. Well, we've had a pretty big wake-up call in that regard in this last week, haven't we? God's reminded of us, us of that. And it is God who brings cities to ruins. And he made Pleiades and Orion, the, the constellations. It's God who made the heavens. As we see in Jacob's vision at Bethel, it was God who came down from heaven and gave Jacob new life. But don't go to Bethel, says God. I'm going to destroy that symbol of new life. What you need to do is repent. Um, your mansions, you're not going to be living in them for very long. Your wine, well, you'll be looking forward just to get a glass of water. You won't be drinking wine. Don't seek Bethel, says God. Seek me and live. What is the good life? Ultimately, it's not about wealth and pleasure, is it? Especially when that's achieved at the expense of others. What is the good life? The good life is about being known by God. It's about 
loving God and loving your neighbour. So that's Bethel. Now, the second significant place uh, we saw is Beersheba. And I think some of us Aussies know uh, a little bit about Beersheba, don't we? Because uh, in World War I, uh, I'm sure the military people here will correct me on this later, but I understand in World War I that uh, was the uh, Aussie Light Horse Brigade that uh, liberated Beersheba and that uh, paved the way for the liberation of, of Jerusalem. Very biblical, aren't we? <laughs> we Aussies. But in Genesis, Beersheba was a place which came to symbolise the presence of God. And we see this uh, involving all three of what the Bible calls the patriarchs, the three key men at the beginning. So the patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the grandfather, the father, the grandfather and the great-grandfather. Um, and, and so it was there in Beersheba in uh, Genesis chapter 21 that uh, the pagan king, King Abimelech, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Uh, in Genesis chapter 26, it was God himself who said to Isaac, Fear not, for I am with you. And in Genesis chapter 46, uh, when uh, Jacob was on his way to Egypt for food because of the famine and because Joseph was now installed there in, in, in Egypt, on his way to Egypt, God assured Jacob, do not fear because I will go down with you. Beersheba. Beersheba, where the shrine reminded Israel of the assuring presence of God. However, verses 14 through to 20 um, tell a different story. Let me read verses six, uh, just part of that, picking up at verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards. Now, how do you feel when someone says to you, may God be with you? It sounds a bit spiritual and a bit formal, doesn't it? But you know what? Not if it's said to you when you're about to step into that situation uh, where you feel vulnerable, into that exam room, into that operating table, into that operating room. Imagine if it was God himself who said it to you, as he did for Isaac and Jacob uh, in that place at Beersheba. That, what sort of effect would that have on you? That would be the opposite effect to the wailing of hopelessness and despair, would it not? And yet, hopelessness and despair is what God is now promising. In the streets, in the public squares of the cities, in the countryside, in the farms and the vineyards. Now, wailing, uh, it's a little bit different from normal crying, isn't it? When I think of wailing, I think that's, that's the way I cry when 
when something absolutely devastating has happened and I feel it's irreversible, it can't be changed. Wailing throughout Israel. Why is this happening? Well, it's because God is visiting. Uh, God is visiting. God is making his presence uh, in Israel. But in verse 17, he says, I will pass through your midst. That's a different kind of presence, isn't it? Is this the same as God being with you? No, this is the Lord God Almighty, the powerful creator of the entire universe, is turning up and then he's leaving you. Leaving you. Now, in verse 18, apparently some people were looking forward to this day of the Lord and this special visit from God. And Amos says to them, why are you looking forward to that? Why would you look forward to it? You don't understand what that means. It's like when uh, people who um, love tradition more than love, they love God you know, insist on praying the Lord's Prayer, asking your kingdom come. Really? That's praying judgment upon yourself. That's the day of judgment. As it was for Israel. Uh, in verse 19, uh, Amos describes what that would be like and he says that it's like someone who is, is, is being chased by a lion and they're fleeing from the lion and they manage to escape from the, the lion only to meet a bear. And then they flee from the bear and they manage to escape into a house from the bear and they close the door and they put their hand on the wall and they get bitten by a snake. There is no escape. There is no escape. There is no escape. For the day of the Lord, in verse 20, will be one not of light, but of darkness. Now, what is their problem? Their problem is false assurance. They, they visit the shrine in Beersheba, they offer their sacrifices, and they remember how God was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they go away thinking, well, God is with me, but I'll live for the world, no matter who I hurt. Think again, says Amos in verse 14. Seek good, not evil, that you might live. That's the promise of Bethel. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you. That's the promise of Beersheba. So, Bethel, Beersheba. What's the third shrine, the third important place? Gilgal. So, why was Gilgal significant? Well, Gilgal represents how God miraculously, um, how Israel, uh, through God's miraculous work, crossed the Jordan River and entered into the Promised Land. Um, in Joshua chapter 4, you might remember that when they did that, they got to the other side of the Jordan River after God had um, you know, stopped the water from flowing, that uh, they stacked up um, 12 large stones which they gathered from the middle of the river and they, used, they stacked them up on top of one another as a monument 
And the reason for doing that, uh, says Joshua, was so that future generations would remember how God brought Israel into their inheritance. Apparently, so a shrine had developed there. And apparently they had um, very impressive worship happening in Amos's day at Gilgal with uh, sacrifices, with, with great music, with worship songs. But what did God think about it? Verse 21. I hate... I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Notice, by the way, there's no mention of sin offerings. (laughs) No mention of sin offerings there. Away with the noise of your songs... I will not listen to the music of your hearts, harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. Now, uh, the word Gilgal means to roll. That's what it means. And and the reason for that is because after uh, uh, Joshua had set up the monument, Inside the promised land, uh, all of the males were circumcised because in the wilderness wanderings, they hadn't circumcised the males. And in Joshua chapter 5, verse 9, Joshua, in speaking about this circumcision of all of the males, said that the rolling away of their flesh represented the rolling away of all the bad stuff the rolling away of their life as slaves in Egypt. Now they were in the land God had promised Abraham. Where in verse 24, what God wanted to see was another form of rolling. God wanted to see see justice and righteousness rolling in this new life in this new land. And because without that kind of rolling, without justice and righteousness, they might as well be living outside of the land, which would now be their future. Verse 27. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. And they might as well live outside the land. They might as well live as if Gilgal hadn't happened. They might as well live with the pagans because after all, in verse 26, not only are they worshipping Yahweh, but they're also worshipping pagan gods. It's like we're living in the land, but we really don't want to be here. You know, we'd be very happy to be amongst the pagans. Remember verse 5. Seek me and live, do not seek Bethel, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile. The place that symbolises the entry into the promised land is now symbolic of being exiled, out of the land. 
And Bethel, says God, will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Now, as Christians, we don't need to visit special places, do we? I mean, you know, I'd love to go on a trip to Jerusalem and see the sights and so on, but if I never get to Jerusalem in my life, I don't really care. No dramas about that. Because what is important is not, it's not about visiting a place, but responding to what God has done. Bethel represents new life in God. Uh, Beersheba represents God's presence. And Gilgal represents the promised land. Sounds a little bit like what we have in Jesus, don't you think? Jesus, who by his death and resurrection has given us a new life. A new life as God's forgiven people. New life, new status, new way of living. Uh, it is Jesus uh, who sent the Holy Spirit so that God is with us, that God now dwells in us as his people. And it is Jesus who, by returning to the Father, has crossed the Jordan for us so that we may possess the heavenly inheritance. Has Jesus changed your life? Many years ago, <clears throat> um, the uh, people who market tourism in Port Macquarie came up with a, with a new slogan. God lives here. Does anyone remember that? Some of you remember that, don't you? There's, you know, big signs, you know, out on those billboards on the, on the highway proclaiming to the motorists that they're about to arrive in heaven. <laughs> was great. Now, as Christians, we can be lulled into thinking that we're already in heaven, in a sense. We can lulled into living, rather, as if we're in heaven. Materially, we, uh, we are very well off. And in terms of opportunities for advancement and opportunities for leisure, well, we're greatly blessed, aren't we? This is not home, is it? This is not where we belong. And when we live as if it is, then we end up making compromises. And life slowly, gradually, uh, it becomes less about God and more about us and our desires and this world even at the expense of others. Now, as Christians, we, uh, we all still sin. And, uh, and we're just grateful um, for, for God's patience and for God's forgiveness. And we look forward to that day when we will be made anew and sin will be no more within us. But if we claim that God is with us, but we consistently live as if he's not with us, then we may need to make some changes, don't we? Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. 
Bethel, Beersheba, and Gilgal. Don't go there, says Amos. Now, that would have astonished Amos's hearers. Uh, that, that's because these were the, the big religious places. That, that would be like a preacher saying, don't go to church, which is not what I'm saying, by the way. Please, everyone, come to church. Uh, we'd love to see you here, especially after the restrictions are lifted tomorrow. There's plenty of room. But there is no point. There is zero point in hearing about what God has done for us in Jesus unless he changes our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, reminder of the temptation that we have to absorb ourselves in the things of this world as if it's home and uh, to go about being Christian on the outside but not actually having hearts that are transformed uh, by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That uh, he has given us new life. That he has sent your spirit that you would dwell within us. And that he's given us the assurance of our heavenly inheritance. Great God and Heavenly Father, we pray that we would uh, look forward to that inheritance, that we would look back to the cross of Jesus and that our lives would roll with righteousness and justice as you intended. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.